You are listening to the Faith Church Podcast. Learn more about our church at faithinchandler.com. Uh, this past week, I had the opportunity to, uh, to get uh, some church training, some ministry training in Florida. And that's pretty far to go uh, to get ministry training. But it worked out well because the church where the training was taking place was just not too far from the airport in Orlando, Florida. And I was able to, to hop on a plane from Evansville down to Orlando. And the reason that works well for me is my father worked for Delta Airlines for over 25 years and retired from them. And so I'm able to fly what's called standby on Delta Airlines. Now, my father can do this for free whenever he wanted, my mother the same, but because I'm his child, I'm no longer dependent, I'm out of the house, I can do this, but I have to pay a small fee uh, to do it. And it only works if there are empty seats on the plane. And so if Delta already has an open seat, I can have it. If somebody's paid to have it, I can't have it. So this is not a good idea for travel at Christmas or around holiday weekends, but on a random Monday and Tuesday, trying to get from Evansville to Orlando is possible. And so that's what I did. I hopped on the very first flight when there were some open seats and then flew right back after the, the training on Tuesday afternoon. And as I was waiting to go through security at TSA in Orlando, I had this, this really striking picture before me. Because flying home from Orlando, I was surrounded by families that had just been on vacation to Disney or Universal Studios. Their family over here all wearing their Mickey Mouse ears. Kid over here wearing his goofy shirt. And I had just come from some training. I had been in a class. I hadn't come out of the amusement park to hop on a plane. And these people had. And would you believe that all of them were unhappy about standing in line at TSA. And I was just reminded that, man, happiness is fleeting and fragile. And people that just walked out of the most wonderful place on earth, not so happy to be in the security line. Um, Over the course of these Sundays in November, I want to help you not have happiness that's fleeting, that's fickle, that's fragile, that if something goes wrong, your day is wrecked. I want to help you have joy. Because while happiness is is fleeting and it's fragile, joy is eternal and enduring. Joy is something that we can experience when things are not ideal. Joy is something we can experience in Disney World and the TSA security line. And Philippians, I feel like, is the best book for us to turn to when it comes to talking about joy. If you were here last week, you know that we, we discussed Paul being in the city of Philippi, being arrested and thrown into prison after being beaten and tortured. And it's in the prison while he's in the stocks that he and his ministry partner Silas have a prayer meeting at midnight. And that prayer meeting turns into a worship service and they are singing God's praises. Even though they're imprisoned, even though they've been beaten, they have joy because joy is enduring. It can't be taken from you based upon circumstances. Paul would leave Philippi, go work at other churches, and later on find himself in prison again and write a letter to the people at Philippi, these same people that he had ministered to, this jailer that was there, the the woman that he led to the Lord named Lydia, and if you missed our message last week, go check that out. He's writing a letter to them, and he's telling them how they can have joy in the worst of circumstances. Now, they know this to be something that he's good at because he, 
he ministered to them while being in prison. And now, while he's writing from prison, he wants to talk to them about joy. And I think there are four main themes that he kind of touches on. And the first one is celebration. We talked about that last week. The second one is perspective. We're going to jump into that this week. Next is worship, and we're going we're to look at that next week and purpose the week after that. But when you look at this letter that Paul wrote to the Philippians, what you see is that even though he's writing from prison, even though things are not going well, he's talking to them about having joy. So look at verse 3 and 4 of chapter 1, the opening salutation, if you will, of this letter. This is the dear so-and-so of it. He says, I thank God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you making request with, what's that last word? Joy. Paul is writing from a prison cell, writing to these people that perhaps he wouldn't get the chance to see again. And he's writing to them about joy, writing to them about how they can have this joy in every circumstance. Now look down at verses 9 through 11, because I think Paul kind of gives us the, the theme, the thesis of his, of his whole letter here. And this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in the knowledge and in all judgment, that you may approve things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God." we got celebration, we got Thanksgiving all happening here in these opening verses. I want you to see where that comes from in chapter 3. It's interesting, most of the letters that Paul wrote in the New Testament, they are written to the church to like straighten things out, problems they're having, right? And some of you have had conversations like that with your kids, right? This is a conversation to straighten them out, right? Listen, don't do that ever again. If you ever do that again, I am going to tie a knot in you. Like, those are the conversations. Most of the letters that Paul wrote are like that. But we've probably all had conversations with our kids who are like, you did great. Like, you weren't bad? And are you my child? Like, wow, this went so well. And this is the kind of letter that Paul is writing. He's actually writing them to thank them for something. Philippians, the letter of Philippians is a thank you card. That's what Paul has written here. And he doesn't start with the idea of perspective, but I think it's the main thing that we need to start with because all of the other themes of this letter kind of rest on that. So look at Philippians chapter 3 and verse 1 with me. We're going to read several verses there that help us to have perspective. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you, to me indeed it is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision. For we are the circumcision which worship God in spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might have also confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh thereof that he hath the whereof might trust in the flesh, I have more. I was circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law, I was a Pharisee. Concerning zeal, I persecuted the church. Touching righteousness, which is in the law, I was blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, 
for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung. That means exactly what you think it means. That I may win Christ and be found in Him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection, the fellowship of His sufferings, being made conformable unto His death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were perfect, but I follow after, that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. And if you underline in your Bible or you highlight in your Bible app, underline and highlight these words. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. Let all of us who are mature have this mindset. And if anything, if in anything you are otherwise minded, God will reveal this unto you. When I was a boy, we lived in Nashville, and I had a, a cousin, several cousins, that they moved from Oklahoma to Virginia. And so on their trek from Oklahoma to Virginia, they stopped in Nashville and stayed with us for a couple of days. And their entire family is five children, two adults. They traveled in their large family station wagon and the U-Haul truck that carried all of their belongings. And with all of the stuff and all of the kids traveling, two of the cousins had to sit in the very back seat of the station wagon that faced the opposite direction. All right? Did any of you ever have one of these station wagons that the back seat faced the rear of the vehicle, right? Now, I was just a boy when this, when this happened, when they came through, and as they piled out of the back of the station wagon, out of this seat that had them facing the opposite direction than the car was going, as a child, I thought, that's got to be horrible to drive thousands of miles from Oklahoma to Virginia facing the wrong direction. I mean, I don't get car seat, but I think I would in that scenario, and then there's the awkwardness of just constantly looking at the person who's right behind you driving. <laughs> I don't think it would make for a great road trip to drive the whole way looking backwards. That's what my cousins were doing. What I think Paul is telling us here in this passage is that for our life to be a life of joy, we've got to face the front. And over these messages, I want to help you understand that this life is like that joy ride and give you some some concepts you can grab a hold of just like riding a car you gotta face the front you gotta face the direction that the lord is taking you paul says i forget those things which are behind and press toward the things which are before you cannot live a life of joy by looking backward Paul says in the opening sentences of this paragraph, be on the lookout for dogs. That's what he says in verse 1. Be on the lookout for dogs. Now, Paul wasn't a cat person. He wasn't saying that. He was telling them, watch out for people who are going to try to steal your joy. They're going to try to steal your joy by pointing you backwards. And he was specifically speaking of the religious laws of the Jews. And for that reason, he says in the next lines, we are the circumcision 
which worship God in spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus in the truth. We have no confidence in the flesh. Now, if you've never read the Bible and you don't know the Old Testament context that that's set in, you read that and you go, what in the world did he just say? We are circumcision? What does that even mean? And the reason that Paul is saying that is that in the first book of the Bible, we're introduced to this man named Abraham. And Abraham is the, the forefather, the, the ancestor of all of the Jewish people. And God makes a covenant with Abraham. He makes a pact with him. And he says, Abraham, if you'll follow me, I will lead your people to good places. I will take care of them. I will be a blessing through you to all of the world. And he says, the mark that will show that you are my people is that you are going to live a peculiar life. You're going to live in a way that is different from the rest of the world. And he says, when your sons are born, on the eighth day, you will circumcise them. Now, there would be many other regulations that he would give the Jewish people to follow. And when we look back at them, we see that God was giving them things that would set them apart from everyone and make them different, but they were also things that would be beneficial to them and keep them healthy. And that's what he does for Abraham. And so for the Jewish people, this was a sign, a mark, that they belonged to God, that they were a peculiar people. And throughout the early church, as Jesus has come and he's offered salvation to everyone, people who belonged to the old Jewish system would say, hey, listen, if you really want to be close with God, if you really want to experience everything that God has to offer, you need to come back and obey all of these laws that he laid out for Abraham and his descendants. And one of those things was circumcision. And so they would come to people in these Greek churches and say, if you really want to be a Christian, this is what you need to do. And people weren't a fan of that idea, as you might imagine. So Paul's constantly fighting this. He says, be on the lookout for those that will try to force you to do these things, jump through these hoops, keep these rules, obey these laws, telling you, if you do these things, then you will truly be a Christian. He's saying, watch out for those dogs that will try to steal your joy. He says, we worship the Lord in spirit and in truth, and we have no confidence in the flesh. In other words, he's saying we have a relationship with God based upon the spiritual, not on the physical. We have a relationship with God based upon Jesus' sacrifice for us, not our works for God. That's what he's telling us. And I want you to see that what we find throughout the New Testament, but specifically here in this passage, is the more spiritual we become, the less we care about the external. The more we focus on the spiritual, the less that seems to be important to us. Now, as we become more spiritual, the external changes. God begins to do these incredible things in our lives. He begins to change the things that we, we value, the things that we're about. He changes the way we spend our money and the way we spend our time. He changes the way that we relate to other people. But it comes from the inside out, not the outside in. We have no confidence in the flesh. I don't think that you can change your life by just making the decision to change your life. I believe that it can only happen if the Spirit of God comes to live within you and it flows outward and makes all these changes. So we are spiritual people. We worship God in spirit and in truth, and it makes a difference in the physical, the external. Now, if you're here and you're new to the idea of church, you're new to the idea of Christianity, I want you to hear that whatever problem you're facing right now, whatever it is that you're going through right now, that the solution is a spiritual one. 
I heard something Chris Hodges said recently. He said that whatever is the most challenging aspect of your life right now is more spiritual than you realize. It's more spiritual than you know. There is a spiritual deficiency, a spiritual brokenness, that no matter how much work you do on the outside will not change the inside. You see, you could obey all of these laws that the people were talking about, that Paul is warning them about. You could obey all of those laws. You could be incredibly successful in life and business. You could look good. You could be the envy of all of those around you and still be incredibly unhappy. You see, all of the circumstances could be right and you would have no joy. See, joy is a spiritual experience. It's a spiritual experience. Now, this concept of being made free in Christ and not going back to the Old Testament laws, Paul doesn't go into great detail here in the Philippians because that's not the reason he wrote this book. But he's just making reference to watch out to make sure they don't steal your joy. Now, if you want to learn more about that, we went over Paul's letter to the Galatians, which was directly about this. We covered it in nine sermons last year, and you can see all of that on our website at faithinchandler.com Galatians. See all of those messages about this topic. But Paul is just mentioning this in his theme of joy. So let's refocus our minds there. When we have an understanding of that concept, we can appreciate what Paul says next in verses 4 and 5. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any man thinketh thereof, he might trust in the flesh, I more. I was circumcised the eighth day. I am the stock of Israel. I'm a descendant of Abraham. I'm in the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews. And as touching the law, I was a Pharisee. When it comes to persecuting the church, I went above and beyond. Paul was somebody that if you wanted to measure a life by these religious standards, he beats everyone. And yet he wasn't joyful. He didn't find what he needed in that. Paul's saying, listen, I can tell you about that life because I lived it. And I lived it better than anybody you know. If anybody can speak to it, I've experienced it. And it didn't bring me happiness. Paul was super dedicated. He was a zealot. He was a religious extremist. If anyone could have been the poster boy for finding joy and happiness and human effort, it was Paul. But he didn't find it there. He walked away from that and pursued Christ. And so he says, I forget what is behind, and I press toward the high calling of Christ. Now, it's important for us to understand what Paul is talking about there, because if we're not careful, we just think Paul is saying, forget the past, will think that the secret to joy is amnesia. If I can just forget everything that's happened, then I'll be happy. That's not what Paul's saying. Paul is not saying, hey, have the Lion King mentality. Put your past behind you and have a kuna matata, no worries. That's not what he's talking about. What he's talking about is he has forgotten that way of life, that way of trying to find meaning and significance and joy in the religious law and found it instead in Christ. I'm not telling you you need to forget what's happened. In fact, this whole month is going to be about giving God thanks for what He's done. The Tuesday before Thanksgiving, we're going to have a service that is specifically geared for everyone to give God thanks for what He's done in the previous year. We remember what He's done and thankful. So we're not forgetting everything that's happened. We're not forgetting the past. What He's telling us is that if we make the central focus of our life something we did in the past or something we have accomplished, we will not have joy. If the focus of your life is what you have done, you will not have joy. 
Let me try to explain this to you in, in terms that will allow me to show you a picture of my Halloween costume. We had Trunk or Treat. And at Trunk or Treat, my family dressed up as Napoleon Dynamite. Now, if you can make that out there, that's my wife. She's dressed as Napoleon. My son is Kip. My daughter is um, Deb. And in the back is me, and I'm wearing American flag pants and an American flag bandana because I am Rex Quando. All right? Now, what was quite disappointing at Trunk or Treat is that many people who walked by, they said, hey, where's your football? Because there was another character in the movie that had a football. This was the guy that I was. I was Rex Quando. The Taekwondo instructor with American flag pants. People thought that I was Uncle Rico. Uncle Rico was this guy who had a football. Now here's what you need to know about Uncle Rico. Uncle Rico, in every scene that he's in in the movie, talks about a football game in 1982. If I could just go back to 1982. If I could just go back, I know we'd win state. If coach would just put me in. Turns out he wasn't even in the game that he's gone back to all this time. He's living in the past. And all of the value and significance of his life is wrapped up in a football team that he belonged to when he was in high school years ago. He can't get past it. That's where he finds his significance, his meaning. And if your hopes, your peace, your happiness rest upon something that you accomplished when you were in high school or in college or when you were a younger person or when you were still working, if that is what your joy rests upon, it will be taken from you. And you will live in the past. And Paul says, listen, I was the, the utmost, I was the Uncle Rico of the Jews. I was all about it, and it did not bring me happiness. Some of us feel like the world owes us something because of something we accomplished. And when you're in a position where you feel like the world owes you something, you will not have joy. You will constantly be discontent. The other side of that coin of your life's focus being on something you did years ago. The other side of that coin is your life's focus being on something that was done to you. If your life is about what's been done to you, you will not have joy. If you always play the victim, if you always think back to that thing that happened 5, 10, 25 years ago, and that's the reason that your life has not worked out like it could have, you'll never have joy. You cannot live in that past whether it's a past of accomplishment or a past of things being done to you, you cannot live there. It will always rob you of your joy. Years ago, we, we wanted to start a, a, a group here that would minister to people who struggle with addiction. So we went through the process of recovery. I took some leaders through it. And I don't know if the, the, the main benefit of that was for us to have that ministry or for me to go through the steps of recovery. Because when I cataloged all the things that I experienced, the things that I had done to others and the things that people had done to me, I realized that I was living in those things and constantly going back to them and saying, if they hadn't done this and they hadn't accomplished that, if they hadn't turned against me. You know what? The things that were on that list, they were absolutely wrong. It was sin that people had committed against me. I had a right to be upset. But by holding on to it for all of those years, it was constantly stealing joy from my life. Amen. When I brought it out before the Lord and I asked Him to give me forgiveness, it brought this new wave of joy into my heart and life. Paul says, I have forgotten what is past so that I can press toward the mark of the high calling of Jesus Christ. 
If your life is, is centered upon something that you've done, you'll never have joy. If your life is centered upon something that happened to you, you will never have joy. But if the focus of your life is what Jesus has done for you, you will be filled with joy. That is what Paul has experienced. He has forgotten those things which are behind, and he presses towards the mark of Jesus. In verse 9, he says it this way, And be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. You know what made a profound difference in my outlook on Tuesday as I stood in the security line? I was just thankful that I had a seat on a plane. You see, when you fly standby, nobody owes you a seat. You get a seat if there's one available. And so as I was in a break in my training on Tuesday morning, I got on my phone and I logged on to Delta's travel site, and I could see there are eight seats, and there are only four standby passengers. I get to fly home today. I wasn't at the airport saying, you owe me a seat, Delta. I was at the airport saying, I get to go home. Nobody owed me anything. It was just a gift. And when we live life in grace, when we have perspective that the world does not owe us anything, it is a completely different perspective. And Paul had the perspective, not that the world owed him anything because he had done all of this good and he had been so righteous and he had obeyed all the laws. Paul had this perspective as, man, God has poured so much on me that I don't deserve. And so I forget what I tried to earn and I just lean into what Jesus has given me. And this perspective is so powerful that it can make the difference in the worst of circumstances even when you're sitting in prison for something you didn't do. Can I tell you how it, it helped me in one of the worst moments of my life? This past week, we were talking with some other parents about things that their children have gone through, and I was reminded painfully of an experience my daughter had when she was little. She's eight years old now, but when she was a baby, she had a urinary tract infection, and we found that she had this dysfunction in her bladder that would lead her to constantly have these infections. So we treated with medication for as long as we could. That way she could get a little bit older before she needed to have surgery. And leading up to surgery, there were these tests that they had to perform, and they were painful. And so we made the, the, the effort to go to Indianapolis, where before they did this test, she could receive some anesthesia. She could receive some medicine that would kind of make her out of it, and she would not remember it. And so we wake up early one morning. We drive to Indianapolis for her to have this test. We get there and they have not called for sedation. And she has to go through the test completely alert. And I stood with my child as she screamed in pain. And I held her arms as she called out, Help! Help! And once the test was complete, I had this potent mix of rage and guilt of what my daughter had experienced. I wanted to tear apart the machinery. I wanted to tear apart the room. Then we walked out of Riley Children's Hospital. 
And we walked down a hallway of patients in beds that they weren't going home that day if they ever got to go home. And by the time we got to the parking garage, my perspective was different. Because while that was one of the most painful experiences of my life, I took my daughter home that day and she would be well. I didn't like my problems, but I liked them a lot better than the other problems I saw. And when we have a fundamental shift in our perspective, we can have joy and realize that life is grace even in the worst of circumstances. This world owes me nothing. I have earned nothing. All that I have is grace. It is God pouring His grace on me. God owes me nothing because all I have earned in this life by my nature and my choices is punishment. My best efforts at being righteous fall short. My commitment to do the right thing is not complete. But God yet pours grace upon my life. And even in the worst of circumstances, when I realize how gracious He is, how could I not be filled with joy? Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer.